Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunatu Sahavir Yankara Vavahai Tejas Vinavaditamastu Mavit Vishavahai Hey everyone, this is Pegmon Queen, and you've just been listening to Greg Nardi's chant of the peace invocation. It's really beautiful, right? So before we get into this next episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch podcast, I want to tell you a little bit more about the chant and why I played for you today. Besides it being a gorgeous prayer, especially with Greg's voice. You see, the last couple of months, we've been working on making the Ashtanga Dispatch magazine's second issue available for you online. Now, I won't lie to you. I was originally set in only producing print copies. You know, a book to hold and page through. It feels special. Of course, I didn't really anticipate how many we'd have to print to make sure everyone who wanted one could. Not to mention... All those of you who couldn't realistically even access a physical copy. From someone stationed in Iran to a home practitioner in some far-off corner of the world. I mean, that's the incredible reach of today's world. To be connected and feel that sense of belonging, regardless of how distant or isolated we may physically be. All this to say, it was important to me that our online magazine be every bit as special as those in print. Well... I'm thrilled to let you know we succeeded. Thanks to teachers like Greg and their contributions, we've put together a bonus online section with exclusive videos, interviews, chants, and even a guided meditation from my own meditation teacher available only through the Ashtanga Dispatch magazine second issue in digital. Go to ashtangadispatch.com backslash digital two. That's ashtangadispatch.com backslash digital two and download your copy of the Ashtanga Dispatch magazine second issue, including all the bonus content, just like the chant you just listened to from Greg. And now on to today's podcast with certified teacher and my own personal friend, Harmony Slater. We recorded this episode at my house in Bozeman on the last day of our five day Shakti retreat. We started off discussing how it's different to teach as a woman. I mean, no surprise, but we live in a world with some pretty ingrained and apparent gender biases still. And yes, even in yoga. In yoga, as in anywhere else, it's still more difficult for women to earn respect. Not spoken as much as a complaint than as a fact. And maybe one reason why Harmony is not, as she says, um, all too excited to show off her body. That's right, you're not likely to see Harmony practicing in a pair of booty shorts, not on Instagram, and not in person either. In fact, if you follow her Instagram, you'll see them in many of her asana posts, she's more likely to be wearing sweatpants in the not-so-exotic locale of her living room, and talking up the philosophical stories behind the shape rather than the typical how-to. 
You see, Harmony has a degree in both religious studies and philosophy. And while I didn't know this before our interview, it certainly does explain a lot. And actually, one of you had written and asked me to ask Harmony about how the spiritual side of yoga fits in with the asana, or even if it does at all. Rather than have me poorly paraphrase Harmony's brilliant response, let's just go right to our conversation. Here's Harmony Slater. Harmony, it's been an amazing week. Thank you. I mean, it's been an amazing week. I mean, Megan says to me, can we keep her mom? (laughs) (laughs) So I don't think we can, but I would like to too. Well, we'll plan another week. Yeah, we will. (laughs) I've learned so much this week. Good. Thank you. I mean, it's been a real honor, like just being in there and assisting with you and getting to watch and, and I just feel like I don't have enough girl time, woman time, you know? Yeah, we had fun. (laughs) It was more than fun. You're a pretty powerful teacher. Thank you. We named it like bringing on the Shakti and we totally like... I think so. You brought the Shakti. Yeah. It was all women except for one male and he got his dose of Shakti, I think. He did. (laughs) It, it, It surprised me actually that it was mostly women uh-huh. that came. But maybe not, because yoga's mostly women, right? I mean... I think these days it seems like it's predominantly women, but Ashtanga usually, I feel, has a bit more of a... Uh, it's a bit more balanced. But still, like... You're right. There's more, there is more men in Ashtanga yoga, for sure, I think. It tends to feel a bit more balanced, but yeah, usually you're right. It's like 70, 80% women, for sure. And yet... <laughs> And yet, and yet, <laughs> it's so hard to find a female teacher. <laughs> yeah, it's well, you know, there's a lot of female teachers, but it seems like a lot of the teachers that get, um, you know, that are out there traveling and mm-hmm. teaching are males. A lot of yeah, masculine energy being asked to come and help all the ladies. And of. <laughs> And of the female teachers, though, moms. It's so different when you have kids. I mean, it makes it hard for you to travel, doesn't it? It does. That's really the worst part of traveling is I just, I miss being home with my son, so. But, you know, it's good. It's working out. (laughs) But, yeah, it's hard. It's hard for him, too, because he misses me. Is it hard for you as a female teacher? Um... A little bit. I think I, I. think it's like a lot of industries still in the world today. I feel like as a female teacher, you have to work twice as hard to prove yourself to people that it's not. Um, you don't just get to show up and be the one in charge. You have to actually take charge, and so yeah, it's it's challenging. I think. I remember when I first started teaching, there was. I taught in a city, and there was a lot of really strong um, male students, especially, and, and um, I would feel in the beginning, I would almost have to, I don't know, pull out some, like, badass move or something just to show that yeah, I was worthy or I had something to teach. It, yeah. it, it was kind of exhausting. It, I think it changed over time, but I do remember that being a thing. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's more difficult for women to earn respect than it is for men, I think. 
And I'm not just saying that. <laughs> no, no, I mean... I, and I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. I've seen it. I've talked with it about other... To other... Um, or talked with it with other studio owners or people that have hosted me. And they've said, yeah, you know, it's really... It's difficult to get people to sign up to come to a woman who's teaching. If it's a man, people tend to sign up more readily. But when we host female teachers, it's difficult to get the numbers. <laughs> it's so interesting because I would have said before the past couple of years, yeah. I would have said that that wasn't really a thing. You know, the when I was yeah. brought up, you were supposed to do whatever a man could do. Like you yeah. had, you held your own. And, and I think that I became so strong, stubborn, you know, that way mm -hmm. that I developed that side of me and almost stopped seeing that there was an imbalance. Yeah. I, I mean, I felt the same way. I had, I was under you know, a complete feeling of equality, thinking, oh, it's just, totally. it's the same, and, you know, it's not going to be difficult, it's just going to, you know, students are going to yeah. look at me the same and react to me the same, but over the years, it's it's been eye-opening. <laughs> the gender bias in yoga. <laughs> right? I wonder if David Kyle is studying that. <laughs> I don't know. I have to ask him. Somebody should study that. Somebody should study that. Well, you don't help matters. No? No. Why? I mean, because, like, <laughs> because you're beautiful, you're yeah. the quintessential, like, blonde, yeah. blue-eyed, yeah. gorgeous. Well, thank you. <laughs> and you're in jeans and a sweatshirt, and on Instagram you post videos of you in sweatpants. Like, if only yeah. you would just, like... <laughs> yeah, it's true. If The more the more clothes you take off on Instagram, the more followers you have. Yeah, so... <laughs> I'm not sure who these followers are, mind you, but... Yeah. Is that something you purposely... I mean, it's to say you just got your... You have your hairs cut pretty short. Yeah. You really are pretty modest on social media yeah is that on purpose or is you know that what? it's just, just not you? really my personality okay. I've never I've never really been very um, proud of of the way I look or feeling particularly um, excited to show off my body to people that's just not really my personality so um, I do it because I would lose followers, like, if I... Yeah, well, that's how I feel, also. I've had people assure me it wouldn't happen, but I'm like, yeah, I don't... You've never seen me in short shorts and a halter top or in a bikini. Like, it's, uh, it's borderline not impressive. <laughs> in my mind, you know, so I just... I, I think I'd just be too self-conscious. I don't think it's... It's just not my personality. Well, I'll I don't. Up. I never practice in shorts. It's, no, I know you don't. It's just not. I don't like it. I don't like that. I only started wearing shorts like this summer. I hadn't worn shorts since I was like fifteen. It's like really like sh not shorts practice. No, not just shorts. Just, just like shorts, like, like outside. Shorts. Yeah, like wearing shorts outside. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever seen you in anything but jeans. Yeah, I barely ever <laughs> wear shorts. <laughs> Yeah. Well, switching gears, since mm -hmm. we don't want to talk all about looks. No, Because let's that not isn't what it... Yeah. <laughs> you have such a wealth of experience and time with the practice. So aside from being a woman, which is really nice for me to be in the room with you. And, and, and like I said, I mean, Megan just felt like she died and gone to heaven. 
Um, but the wealth and the longevity and the time that you've spent both with Guruji and Shrat, mm -hmm. it shows. I mean, it, showed, it shows up. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't... Um, I tried not to waste my time when I was in India. I definitely tried to uh, make the most out of it and study with you know, obviously practicing with Guruji and practicing with Sharat and learning from them, but also seeking out other teachers and learning from them and digging into the Yoga Sutras or the Bhagavad Gita or just philosophy in general. And it also is a passion of mine. You know, I have a degree in religious studies and a degree in philosophy. So I did not know this. Yeah, so it's something that... Makes that sense now. <laughs> I'm, I was interested in from the beginning and that's really where I came into the field of yoga was through the Buddhist philosophy and then through yoga philosophy looking at the similarities between them and thinking oh this is there's a lot of similarities I feel like this is giving a set of practices that I could maybe connect to here in the West and then seeking out yoga classes to help experientially realize the philosophy that I was reading so that brings me to a question. You know, I opened mm -hmm. it up on Instagram and somebody wrote and she yeah. said, because it's the perfect segue, <laughs> yeah, right? That was. She said, <laughs> I feel like I am a spiritual yogi yeah. and I practice Ashtanga. How does the spiritual side fit into the asana? Yeah. Like, what does it mean to, you know, all this physical mm -hmm. exercise, all the jumping around on your mat? How does that make us, you know, how does that deepen our relationship with God? Yeah. Go. Okay. <laughs> Well, you know, this is a similar question, I think, to uh, students would ask Patabi Joyce or Guruji. They'd say, well, Patanjali Yoga talks about yamas and niyamas, and we're just really learning asana here. How is this Ashtanga Yoga? How is this the eight limbs? We don't have dharana, dhyana, samadhi, you know, we're just doing asana. And Guruji would say, Patanjali Yoga, Ashtanga Yoga, same. What you're doing, Ashtanga Yoga, same. And you kind of leave it at that. <laughs> and I've come to, you know, look at the practice a lot over the years and, and think about the eight limbs and how this practice really helps us to manifest the eight limbs in our lives. Um, one thing Patabi Joyce also says, he says, Yama Niyama is very difficult. You, you take asana. Yama's Niyama is coming automatically. Right? He was kind of like, yeah, you Westerners, you're a bit... But you know what we Westerners are? <laughs> we don't believe something unless we can define it. Like, we have True. to put words to it. You know, yeah. like that whole thing is, I know that I do actually think I'm a kinder, you know, more honest yeah. and cleaner, though my husband might like, <laughs> argue with that. But, you know, there are, there, yeah. those aspects, they have come along, they have been developed. Mm -hmm. I can't necessarily tell you why or how. Yeah, I yeah. can't. Does that, does that make sense? Totally. And that's sort of what he was saying is like, you know, it can't just be the philosophy. You have to change internally. And the only way to change internally is to start doing something. And so he gave us this asana practice and taught this practice to us. And through this practice, 
things start to change and shift. You know, we use the breath, so there's an aspect of pranayama, we're controlling our breath, we're not just breathing as we normally do when we're not aware or conscious of it, right? So we're lengthening and expanding the breath, prana ayama. We're learning to focus our mind, concentrate it on one or two things, you know, very few <laughs> amount of things, you know. Um, focusing our mind on our breath, on our banda, maybe on a gazing point, on maybe the position of our hand or our body, like our hands, our feet, our, our limbs. Um, you know, we're trying to limit what our senses are being attracted to. So there's a little bit of pratyahara happening there, right? We're not trying not to check out all the people around us. Yeah, by giving your senses, mm -hmm. it's like your senses want to go outside of you. Yeah. You, Megan, we were talking about this when you were talking about pratyahara. Yeah. And Megan was like, withdraw my senses. And so she was trying to like... All she she was trying to meditate on a black hole because that's like yeah. you know like it's soundless it's yeah. it's you know you can't see it can't touch it and she was lost she was like what do how do you do that yeah. and I'm like no no you don't have to do that but yeah. by giving us like a gazing point that's us mm -hmm. a listening sound that's us exactly of kinesthetic all these all the yeah. I mean, hopefully the smell, we haven't made it. <laughs> hopefully you don't smell too hopefully fast. Hopefully you don't smell. And, like, you can only <laughs> and hopefully you're only smelling yourself, yeah. not the person beside you. And it's not distracting, you know? So that's yeah. motivating too. But that is that is pratyahara, right? Yeah, that's... you're taking yourself basically as an object of meditation or an object of focus. And then you're trying to train and discipline the mind to stay focused on yourself Me. on yeah one thing you know be it different aspects of that one thing um, and then over time you kind of start to get into the flow of the practice and of the breath and of the movement and I think you can enter sort of stages of, of meditation or jhana sort of longer periods of concentration where you're not being distracted and your mind isn't flitting from one thing to the next or thinking about the past or the future or the pain or the pleasure or the whatever, all the different things our mind just, you know, likes to chase after. Our mind could stay very focused and concentrated on one point for a longer period of time. So maybe we are experiencing moments of dharana, dhyana, and potentially, um, you know, there could be moments of complete immersion, complete loss of uh, your sense of independent self. Do you know I go between two times when I find that, which, which I think is strange mm -hmm. or ironic, because there are two opposing times, either when it's just as simple as like a Surya Namaskar mm -hmm. or, you know, yeah. something I've done over and over where I just lose myself in yeah. that motion other times it's when i'm so challenged right. that i can't you have to stay yeah there. i cannot check out for a moment yeah there's a lot in between there where yeah. there's a lot of checking <laughs> out in between those two places Does that makes sense totally is that normal yeah Good. i think that's definitely normal mm -hmm. one you can get into the flow and the mind can become focused but it's not um it's maybe not as intense a focus but still there's just sort of this it's disillusion of yourself yeah it's the rhythm it's, it's yeah it's nice and then the other the mind gets very one-pointed 
um, when you're really working on something, you know, sometimes like balancing There's no is a good example where, you know, you're fit, your eyes are really fixed and you're just focused on one thing and you know if your mind starts thinking about other things, you're going to fall. Yeah. So you can't. You have Mine's to just, back bends. Yeah, keep it. Back I'm bends, gonna yeah. die. I think I'm going to die. <laughs> If I <laughs> stay focused, stay, stay focused. I know. I mean, it's so scared. Well, yeah. when you're scared, doesn't that the, isn't that part of the yeah. what kicks in? It can be. Yeah, you're that's scared, very shitless, cute, like, one-pointed focus. Yeah, it's one way. And I think then also through the practice, you know, the idea is that we're increasing this quality of sattva, which is clarity, you know, uh, enlightenment, uh, peacefulness, balance. Um, wholeness. So all these beautiful sort of qualities are wrapped up in this idea that's an Indian word. It's a guna called sattva and it helps to lift us out of sort of darkness and laziness and lethargy but it also isn't uh, super hyperactive. It's calm. And so we're using these active principles in the practice to help purifying cleanse our minds, our bodies, um, in order to increase this overall lightness or clarity within us. And when we do that, we see things more clearly. We have a greater awareness of ourselves in the world and how we're acting and interacting with people. And so in a way, the yamas come automatically and the niyamas start to come automatically through the practice because we're as we're practicing this quality of lightness and of clarity and awareness and consciousness is increasing and so we're getting brighter and we're getting clearer and then we can see ourselves reflected more clearly so when we're being you know a big bitch we can be like oh wow I'm being a big bitch and have awareness around that and start to change and you know change our behaviors um, whereas before you just, you know, be a big bitch and not be aware of it and just think, well, I'm perfect and wonderful and why doesn't everyone love me, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so having that awareness, that self-awareness sucks. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's what helps us transform, yeah. right? It's what helps us become better and that in itself is, is part of our spiritual path. It's part of you know, walking a spiritual path and becoming a, you know, a superhuman, a better, a better being, someone who can relate to people on a level of heart rather than on a level of selfishness, right? When I first told you the question, you said, what does spiritual mean? <laughs> yeah, what does spiritual mean? Everything's spiritual. Everything's spiritual. And nothing's spiritual. That's the thing. Everything's spiritual oh, and nothing's spiritual. It was so much easier <laughs> when I was in CCD and you had a picture of God in the white robe. Yeah, yeah. And like, there was Jesus and you had a good visualization of him. You knew what he looked like. Yeah. You had that robe and, you know, everything. And, and you really knew what God was and yeah. who God was and how you were going to get there and all of that yeah. stuff. And... And um, a lot of us hold on to that. It's very tangible and easy. So when you, yeah, you know, now I sort of think of that as religion. Is that weird? Like I, I sort of now equate no, yeah. some of those early fundamentals. But when you start to switch and you're like, my relationship with God, what does that mean now? Mm-hmm. And you know, can you can you experience a connection to something divine? Can you experience uh, spirituality? changing diapers.
can you experience a connection to God and spirituality holding a crying baby? Can you experience, you know, God driving your kids to school? Can you experience God and spirituality eating breakfast? Holding the hand of, you know, an old person, your grandmother, your mother. It's still very segmented, I think, in my life. When you say yeah. that, I'm like, ooh, no, I probably do reserve it for specific. Yeah. Or is it just limited to sort of this two-hour or three-hour yeah. time in the morning and maybe a little time before bed? Can you start to experience God or spirituality or consciousness, connection, whatever you want to call it, right? in every moment of your life. That's why everything can be spiritual. Washing dishes. Can you see that as part of, you know, a spiritual practice? You know, Guruji said, um, you know, this is a story. Eileen Hall told me this story uh, a long, long time ago. We were talking about uh, running, you know, a yoga school and like how do you integrate yoga into your life and she said, Guruji said to me, balancing your checkbook, reading the Bhagavad Gita, same. And that really stuck with me. It's like everything is part of your spiritual practice. And Sherat really tries to emphasize this too. Yoga's all day long. 24-hour yoga. Yeah, he does put it in pretty simple terms, and he's pretty direct. Yeah, Guruji would say that. 24-hour yoga. You know what I've heard people say? Yeah. <laughs> it kind of irritates me when I've yeah. been in my store. They'll come at a conference, and they'll be like, I hear them, and they can say, <sighs> he always says the same thing. They're looking for something new. They want to be yeah. entertained, and he does. He says, you basically, every conference I've been to, and it's been so few, but the ones that I've been to, they're always the same. Yeah. He says the same thing. Yeah, it's the same, the yoga's same message. All day, yoga, yeah. Yoga's all day long. Be you a know, good person. Be a good person. <laughs> and so I hear people walking out, they're like, oh, you know, same talk. We're not getting it. We just don't get it. Guruji would always go into 72,000 nadis. Energy system. And after that, most of us sort of were lost. <laughs> Did you all walk out and go? No, no. We were just basking in the in the enjoyment of sitting sitting closely by, you know. <laughs> How different was it when you first started? It's been is it eleven, twelve years? Thirteen? Mm, Thirteen. Going on fourteen. Okay, 13, mm -hmm. 14. So, yeah. like I said, big span of time. So, how different mm. is it now than it was? It's interesting, I think, like talking to a lot of teachers who were at the old shala, mm -hmm. there was a big shift, a big change when uh, Patabi Joyce and Sharat moved to Gokulam and started teaching out of the new shala, which is now kind of the old challenge, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, it's, um, so some people were really not into it because it went from 12 people in the room to 50 people in the room, right. 60 people in the room. That's a, that's a big shift. That's a big shift. Yeah. Um, and even when I started going, if there was 
60, 80 people there. It was, that was like a big group of us. And you're talking about like in Mysore. In like Mysore. You're, you're not talking about in the shawl. Yeah. Like, no. In Mysore. Right. Yeah. And now there's hundreds. Like, yeah. Now there's like 300. Right. Yeah. And they have to limit it. Right. Right. <laughs> they weren't turning people away. So it's, I mean, it's changed a lot, obviously, but, you know, and also Guruji would give conferences or we'd sit with him and the room wasn't even half full. You know, there'd be like maybe 30, 40 of us there, maybe 50 or 60 on like a really big day. So it was, it was different. I mean, it was definitely, we knew everyone. We knew each other really well. Now it's hard to sometimes know everyone because <laughs> there's so many people there. But it's always shifting. I mean, everything's changing. Nothing's going to stay the same. So you just get on with it. <laughs> but it, but even it's different than Shrat's English. I mean, he's, he can, I mean, ah, he can yeah. give conferences. I mean, you yeah. know, he... Yeah, Sherrod has a... Uh, he's a real human aspect to him. I yeah. mean, it, it's... He has an excellent grasp of English. Com totally. Yeah. So, it's, yeah... I mean, he did the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And from what I understand, yeah. Guruji was so few words, right? Yeah, being with Guruji was not about what he was saying. You really... It was about the transmission. It was about sitting in his presence, and things were transmitted in a way that was beyond language. He would say things, but mostly things shifted inside of you by being in his presence. And Sherat's also like that, you know, things shift inside of you by being in his presence. And that's really what the yoga is about. And that's, I mean, that's why it's so valuable to spend time with a teacher. Because if the teacher is, uh, you know, has depth um, and has heaviness, things shift inside you just by being near them. And that's even the idea of Upanishad, to sit closely beside you know, it's the way that yoga gets transmitted is through being close to. So what, it's not just Sharat and Guruji. That mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not even just talking, like yeah. those two change because they're very different. I feel like we've changed. Yeah, the students too. have yeah, changed I mean, so much. <laughs> granted, we've changed in numbers. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot yeah. more. But I also feel like Okay, for example, yeah. I'm going to say this right out loud. Yeah. I'm not going to go this year, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be my third trip. Yeah. And there's this, and I've had more than one person say to me, yeah. Oh, you could get authorized. Well, you could go and get authorized. Yeah. Right? And that's a thing. Like, mm -hmm. it's a mentality. Mm -hmm. It's like a, I'm going to go for my third trip. I'm going to make my appointment. I'm going to remind him it's my third. And, right. And, and not that, yeah, it is conscious because I mean I've had a lot of people ask me, and it starts to make me nervous. Like mm -hmm. I start to get like maybe I should be right, right? Am I? Am I? Yeah, should I go? Did I do, do something? I yeah, that? like oh my gosh, I'm not going. You know, is that not the? Is, maybe it's good not to go because am I going for the right reasons? Right, exactly. It, makes it brings me up a super, whole bunch of questions. It brings up all these questions, right? And they mm -hmm. and they they start can start to make you nervous. There's a little bit of frenetic energy that mm -hmm. I feel, and I. I'm not one of the, you know, I wasn't there, yeah. you know, when there was 50, 60, yeah. you know, I've only been there with the hundreds, but I, but I definitely have talked to a lot of teachers who are maybe your peers who've been, who were there with you and have mm -hmm. that kind of longevity. And it, it does seem like there was a 
difference? Was there the same I mean, I think there urgency. was... I don't think there was the same urgency, for sure. I mean, we... It seemed more like students were going because they were seekers. Because they wanted to be near Guruji. They felt a deep heart connection there. Um, and they just wanted to learn from him and learn about India and be in India and experience the culture and to just change and transform. That was, I think that was mostly the goal of a lot of the people that kept coming back over and over again. It wasn't to get authorized. Um, you know, a lot of us wanted to teach for sure, mm -hmm. yeah. or were teaching at the time already, but going was really about having the experience of you know, what being in Guruji's presence was, and also using him or Sharad, you know, even as mentors, like, how do they teach? What are they teaching? Yeah. How do they move people on? How do they adjust? What are they adjusting? You know, what are they emphasizing? Like, it was a real curiosity. It was a real uh, learning for David us. David Kyle said that. He said yeah. that um, when John Scott sent him over there, he said, I don't just want you to go over, I want you to watch Guruji. I yeah. want you to watch him. Spend time. Exactly. And that's what we did. We just went and just watched him. Watched how he sat. Watched how he walked. Watched how he adjusted. Watched how he moved someone or said something to one person but wouldn't say it to the other person. And really just wanted to be in that presence because there was learning happening that wasn't language. You know, it was just by being in that environment. and. You know, a lot of us, there was a, a real period where Guruji was a little bit transitioning, you know, it was in the new Shala when they moved and he was just transitioning maybe to like trying to get Sharat more prepared to take on this large growing group of students. Yeah. And there was a lot of us there practicing and would go three years, five years and not get one posture. We just do our practice and just keep doing our practice. And it wasn't like we'd just go for a month. We'd be there three months, four months, six months. Can you imagine what people would do now? Yeah. Can you imagine if you were there, like if you were there for like three or four months and then like five years at the same posture? Yeah. I swear, people would stop going. They would. And we were just, I don't know if we were just gluttons for punishment or slow learners or... No, but I, think, I mean, we wouldn't do that here. <laughs> no. But we really felt, I mean, we felt like we were receiving something yeah. that was deeper than the posture, that was more valuable than asana. And I think a lot of the teachers that, that made it through, you know, those desert years or that, you know, the dark times. Yeah. Um, That's what I've heard it called. Yeah. You know, we... Uh, transitions are hard. Transitions are very difficult. Yes, like yeah. practice. They're hard, like <laughs> yeah. they're harder than the actual postures yes. themselves. But I think people that lived through that period and kept coming back and There's kept spending comes. time with Guruji and with Sharad and also kind of took them both um, on as, as, you know, one lineage of teaching. It's, you know, I think there's a lot of really great teachers that came out of that period. And I, I feel like it's because we learned something that was not about 
getting more postures and and we learned that progress wasn't connected to how many asanas you were doing and it was like it was like that was just a really important message that was really drilled into us because when with you, experience with experience because when you spend all that money you travel to the other side of the world you go to your guru and they're just like yeah you're doing everything great keep doing it and you're like can I have another one no yeah no no okay I'll just keep doing this and you're like what am I missing you know, and it was a really interesting lesson that it wasn't about doing more. It was about going deeper and digging down and figuring out what this practice is about. Otherwise, you'd quit. I mean, if it was, I mean, the ones that stayed. Yeah, the ones that stayed. Learn something. Right? The ones that stayed, it became yeah. about something yeah. more. Yeah, and other ones went and found other teachers, you know, <laughs> or quit. But without, I feel like your gen, I, like your generation, you know, the the teachers that I know yeah. um, that were came along with you. Mm -hmm. There's this thread, like someone like me who's never, I will never experience Guruji firsthand. Yeah, you know, I yeah. I won't have that sitting in his presence. Yeah, when I listen to the stories firsthand. Yeah, it's you nice. Know, you can feel it. I do. Yeah. I feel connected to something. Yeah, you I, know? I love listening to those stories, especially you know, like. The teachers that came before me, you know, yeah. you have like Tim Miller, Dina Kingsburg, Eddie Stern, you know, great teachers. There's so many, you know, Richard Freeman, so many like senior teachers. And it's wonderful. You can hear them talk about Guruji. You can hear the stories, the old Shala and, you know, what it was like to be in Mysore in the 70s or the 80s, 90s. And you can feel him. Like he still lives. There's a history to it. Well, if you yeah. think about kids, Jediah, does he yeah. like like to hear stories of like when you were a little girl or yeah. you know, your mom exactly. or stuff like that? Like yeah. you tell your kids stories yeah. of like their grandparents. I didn't know uh, one of my grandparents, but yeah. I know the stories about mm -hmm. him. And it, there's something that feels real and it yeah. it's part of my lineage. It's part yeah. of my family. Totally. And, and it keeps uh, memory alive. It keeps that quality, that feeling of the person alive, because as someone who knew them, you transmit that feeling that you felt when you were with them to the person that you're talking to about them. And there's a depth yeah. to it that's hard to explain. Yeah, and I think sometimes we want to measure it. We want to say, well, it was better when it was yeah. this many people and now it's this many people. Yeah. Well, I mean, my grandparents we're around, you know, the depression and yeah. I mean, there are different times. There are different times and that's knowing I mean, about them and yeah. learning about them doesn't necessarily mean we have to measure. Yeah. It's just times change, but yeah, the twenties were amazing, but like <laughs> it was a different time, you know, they didn't have a lot of stuff we have now that made life super convenient. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it's ni nice to practice in, in a, you know, in the old shala likely with 13, 12 people practicing, but India wasn't easy. Even when I started going, it wasn't easy. It wasn't like you could get almond milk and yeah, it was coconut milk. milk. <laughs> like, you know, try being a vegan in, in India, you know, in the early 2000s. It was like, I mean, you're pretty much living off fruit and vegetables. That's it. Or like some chapati. It wasn't like... You know, you can get fancy things. <laughs> I remember we used to bring boxes of like noodles with us because we we're like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna need some noodles. You know, I'm gonna like want that. So we travel. 
it with like I'd bring a whole suitcase full of food that I'd want. Now you can get everything there. <laughs> you can get everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> Do you think it's important? Oh, it's a trick question because I, I think you do think it's important to have somebody also that you can look to as a mentor. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really um, important thing if you want to be a teacher for sure in this lineage. It's great to have, you know, say, oh, Guruji was my teacher, Shrat was my teacher, but, you know, especially if you're new and you're starting off as a teacher teaching this practice. And new, define new. Please define new <laughs> like, in your mind. Um, <laughs> new in my mind? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like if you've only been practicing, you know, in a traditional sense or like been to Mysore three years, five years, short trips, you know, if you're just starting teaching. When do you stop you being know, new? I don't know. I mean, I'm still, I still like going and learning from senior teachers. You know, if I can watch how they adjust and be in their room and experience how they teach, I always feel like it's such a gift to see what they're doing and to learn from them because they have just so much more experience than I have. So, I mean, to them, I'm new. <laughs> so we all need yeah. it. So then basically what you're saying is we all do kind of Yeah, need. but I think especially when you're starting off, you yeah. know, you're freshly authorized or, you know, <laughs> you're just beginning to teach Mysore on your own even. Yeah. I think it's really important to spend some time with someone who's been doing it a little longer than you who can help share what they've learned and you can watch and observe and, and then you know talk about like well should I do this or that it's really the best we were talking way to a student to today learn. who said even in her Mysore program her teacher is now new students are coming in and she's offering them a mentor mm -hmm. with a student that's been there oh, for a yeah. while right yeah. that was I thought and they and she explained it as well there's questions that you have yeah. as a brand new student and yeah. you don't always want to go up to the teacher and ask but it's nice to have someone who's closer to you that you yeah. can feel comfortable in exactly. asking what she called the stupid question which you feel she was yeah. saying there's no stupid questions but when you're when you start off you yeah. often think they're you know you you're embarrassed yeah to ask certain things and so I thought that was really neat that right there in the room yeah. between students don't even have to talk about teaching just Definitely. this is such a big investment and there's yeah. so much um yeah. that's going on that it's yeah it's, well and that's interesting when I've had um when I was teaching the Mysore program programs that I've taught I usually would have an assistant and we would you know that she would be learning from me and mm -hmm. um and assisting me in the room and that way is a bit of like a mentorship or yeah. you know a learning program for her to help cultivate her skills and both of my two main assistants are now authorized and running their own programs um and so it's uh it's neat to see that progression and that transformation for them and they both have a lot of experience now working with people and spent you know five years six years also working with me pretty regularly and and learning um but it's um it's 
what was I going to say? It's interesting that, um, I don't know, I totally lost my train of thought. Hold on. What do you Mentor, mind if I mentors are, yeah. Oh, I know. The students, when I was teaching, often would go and talk to them and ask them questions. Yeah. And they'd be like, well, why didn't you ask Harmony? And they're like, well, what do you think? You know, and so sometimes they're they... are more approachable. Yeah, they're like, more approachable. So, or they send them emails and, <laughs> and ask them questions, right? And that, so then they'd always come up to me and say, oh, so-and-so's asking this, or so-and-so told me this, or... They sent me an email that said this. And it's interesting, like people just feel more comfortable. Um, sometimes not necessarily approaching the teacher, but talking to someone a little bit removed. And it was even like that with Sharat and Guruji, you know? You wouldn't necessarily want to go up and say to Guruji, well, what about this? Or, you know, why is this a thing? And so we'd go and talk to Sharat, you know? And so he'd answer a lot of our questions. I mean, in my case, anyway, I'd go and talk to him about stuff because I was like, well, I don't because want to bother Because that's Guruji. where you were. Yeah. No, when we talked about this earlier, it just <laughs> opened up a whole thing in my brain. Because yeah. you do often hear, Shrot's my teacher, Shrot's my teacher. Yeah. And he and now, is your teacher, yeah. I get it. But we we have, language is so important, especially in the West. Yeah. Language is super important. So mm -hmm. we call it a teacher. Yeah. So, and remember, you can't have too many teachers, right? right. Too many doctors kill the patient. Isn't yeah. that what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so then you can't learn from anybody else. Yeah. But is that really what it yeah. means? I mean, yeah. you know, so I feel like, okay, so I'll trick the West. Like, let's call them mentors, you know? Yeah. Let's call them something else. But but I, I do think that it's a lot to ask, given the way times have changed, for you to spend a few months in my store and let's just go with the authorization thing and mm -hmm. just spend a few months and to be able to come back and be able to teach teachings such there's a lot to learn there's so much to learn and, you I know mean, you can't learn it in one month you can't learn it in two months no. you can't learn it in six months it's an ongoing process of learning it's an ongoing connection to the practice and to people who know a bit more than you that are teaching it and then there's the experiential thing. Like, there's yeah. things you have to have had experience with. In order to teach. So now I'm going to jump into asana. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's jump right into asana. Yeah. Because if you haven't had the experience physically mm -hmm. with various things, let's call yeah. them, like, I mean, let's say, you know, if you, if, obviously, if I know a lot about shoulders because I mm -hmm. have separated and dislocated, right? Yeah. So I happen to know. Yeah unfortunately, you know, yeah. more about children, but I've never had any knee issues really, right. or I know so much less, right? So right. there's, there's things that I've experienced that give me, I've had babies, I've had C-sections, yeah. you know, so that there's some experience there. Yeah. You can't replace that kind of experience. No. Um, <laughs> but in teaching, to have that growth, to have some time with the practice, mm -hmm. I notice that every time in, as far as the physical practice, I think that I have some solid understanding of mm -hmm. something yeah it's never everything like <laughs> yeah. there's always like more yeah um back bends yeah you have <laughs> a very distinct approach yeah. to them and i find it really helpful 
Can we talk about that? You yeah, said to sure. me that you were not a natural backbender, which I actually find very hard to believe. So you you <laughs> will true. have to go home and dig out these pictures and send them to me because... <laughs> I don't know if I have any pictures of me before. Damn, but I really Instagram wasn't. wasn't there. You really weren't... No, really. Really. I was not an... I'm not a natural backbender. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Talk to me about the process then. People think you, that I'm a natural backbender. Well, yeah, because we see come, you. And they're assisting, like, in the shallow or something. They come to backbend me, and they go and grab my hand. My hand's, like, not moving. And they're like, what's wrong? Why is it? And I'm like, you got to pull hard. <laughs> like, really? It's stiff, dude. you got to really... <laughs> you got to give it a good go. <laughs> yeah, it's not, like, like, you know, that kind of buttery backbend for sure. <laughs> so talk to me about how that process came because you are definitely intense in the room. Yeah. I have um, let no one look at your soft, cute, <laughs> pixie haircut and, you know, sparkly blue eyes and big smile yeah. and don't think that you're not incredibly intense in the room in a really loving way, but a very intense way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> backbending in particular mm -hmm. and you are you have a very specific approach mm -hmm. so talk to me about how that began and what that approach is well I was I had a lot of back pain for like the first seven years of my practice like tons of pinched nerves lots of sciatica I had scoliosis pretty bad so it, like it was painful like there was a lot of a lot of stuff going on in my lower back that was painful and I just figured well backbending that's what backbending is that's it's what painful. I thought too that's what yeah. I thought too well yeah I just I just didn't know anything different I was like oh yeah this always hurts my back so it's okay and being like a little bit you know I came from a dance background so dancers are used to pain we're just like yeah that's that's okay. That's just the way it is. It's painful. So I'm just going to keep going and push through that. And then I was working specifically, uh, there's two people who really changed my backbends, senior teachers. One's Chuck Miller and then one's Dina Kingsburg. And between their two emphasis was on the same thing, but they kind of approached it in slightly different ways. Um, and first I worked with Chuck. And at first I worked with Dina and then I worked with Chuck and it was in the same year and they were just short, short periods, you know, um, a couple of weeks each, but they were both really working on having me open my upper thoracic spine instead of just hinging in my low back, changing the way I use my legs in my back bend, changing the way I use my glutes in my back bend, um, getting me to redistribute the curve of my spine more evenly through the whole spine. So I basically then worked with them sort of within the span of a couple of months uh, in the same year and kept working with the techniques that they gave me to try and find that What were some opening. of the things that they told you to do? Um, connect to my whole foot on the floor, like especially the whole top of the foot, but then primarily the big toe if, you're, if your feet are um, on the floor, right? Mm -hmm. So depending on if it's an upward dog or a back bend, so really connecting through the big toe, 
um, opening the top part of the spine first. So that's been a different thing. Yeah. Opening the top part of your spine first. Yeah. That order. Yeah. You introduce that. Yeah. I don't mean to interrupt your story, but you yeah. introduce that. I've been finding that incredibly helpful, and that is a different. I have never yeah. done it that way or thought of it that way. I've always started from the bottom, bottom up, up and not from the top down. Yeah. That's a, a huge shift. It helps to relax the muscles of the low back a little bit more. And also you end up using more of your front body rather than the back of your body. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, just drawing the shoulders back, opening the shoulders, using the muscles of the back to not just like pulling them back, but like yeah. using those muscles. Using the, the muscles back. to kind of pull open the whole spine, the whole back. Um, really connecting to the front of the legs, like the center of the legs. That was a big one. Um, using the earth, like really pushing down to lift up. That's really all you have for yeah. resistance. Like you don't have anything on your head or your, exactly. you know, you've only got the, the floor. Yes. So you got to work with, I So guess. it's like using those forces of opposition, mm -hmm. pushing down to get length and creating space between each vertebrae. So trying to really lift up before you go back and create a little bit of space between each, you know, vertebrae in the, in the spine so that you can bend deeper and more freely rather than compressing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I kind of just started working with these principles and my back pain completely went away. And then and my back pain deepened and kept getting better and better and deeper and deeper. and um, But no pain. And no pain. Yeah. And I was, I was like, wow, this is the ticket. <laughs> yeah. And so then I kind of... Because I felt so strongly about it and I was out of pain, when I started teaching people about backbends, I tried to emphasize those same things with them that I had Getting learned. the length. Yeah. And then applied in my own practice because it was just such a, it was such a freeing concept. It was difficult at the beginning because I had to retrain myself how to backbend. I think I spent probably three weeks or a month basically repatterning my upward facing dog. That's what I'm working on now yeah. since you is repatterning that top down approach. Yeah. But we need to stop calling them back bends. It's like exactly what it's not, <laughs> yeah. right? Well, go the back, back and bend. Bending. I know, but you know, you go, but everybody like just hears back and bend. And so everybody goes back and bends, yeah. you know, and it's like that hinge yeah. and it's, it is up. Yeah. And you really emphasized yeah. That up piece, I loved when in it's up. People that can't have to hear push this down with the legs. Do you right? know that it's, opposing that it's two forces of opposition. One is really pushing down, and you have to really push down in order to get that length through the spine to lift up. So it's a whole body thing. It's a whole body thing. Yeah, you can't go up without pushing down. <laughs> no, you know. So it's it's both things happening at the same time. But now we're creating... talking about a span of now you said for seven years yeah. you thought there was pain and now there now was it's like... been at least it's about ten years. So it, without... it so you think about that, that that takes 
a <laughs> chunk of time of research, right? Yeah. Your own research. Yeah. Yeah. I get a little hazy, and I'm going to tell you that, right? Mm-hmm. And David knows, David Kyle knows this, and everybody can call him the anatomy guru, and he is, or I call him guru, he would never say that, but um, <laughs> but he never talks anatomy in yeah. the yoga room. He's like, you don't want to break yourself apart. We're trying to put ourselves together. And like, yeah. of course, he'll switch. That's a beautiful line. I love when he says yeah. that, but he, he does switch when people are hurt, certainly, and, yeah. and because there's something you have to look at. But you did that, you did not throw out a whole bunch of anatomical terms you like actually you like said things i understood like lift your forehead lift your nose lift your chin like i know where those things are so that's really cool um (laughs) i hope everybody knows i think you've spoken some real people when you start talking about rhomboids and people get a little hazy Uh, and then all of a sudden my brain goes do i know what rhomboids are are they back there and all of a sudden i've I've lost tasty yeah that's what I always think when I you hear rumble. That sounds tasty. Yeah, I check out. Like I start to think, and then I start, and then I go, I don't really know where my rhomboids are. Smile and pretend you do. Nod your head. Nod yeah. your head. You're like, they're you're, back there. Yeah, somewhere. they're back there, and you, you've already <laughs> lost the whole lesson. Or if somebody says yeah. your elbows need to turn this way or that way. Yeah. I have no freaking clue. Like yeah. then all of a sudden, all I'm looking at are my elbows, yeah. and I'm no longer. But just talking about top, bottom, feet, head, up, Down. you know, yeah, <laughs> breathe in, yeah. you know, and those are all um, more whole body actions. And it was, I think it's really difficult for um, like the average person or even an exceptional person to isolate uh, single parts of their body. And I don't necessarily think that usually it's very helpful to, to isolate single parts of the body in a posture um, because all of the asanas use all of the body so if all of a sudden you're rotating something one way and you're just thinking about like your elbow rotating one direction that's doing something to your shoulders and that's having an effect on your spine and on your front and that's going to then affect your low back and your leg right like everything's connected so as soon as you start to only think about one area it's like it has these ripple effects through the body. So I feel like it's a little bit more helpful to think of the dynamics and the energetics of the posture, like like what's the energy doing in this posture? And then I feel like things come together and work together to achieve a result, right? So you can say like, like you know, pull the chest through, but at the same time create strength through the legs back, right? So you're creating those forces of opposition. You need those forces of opposition to keep the body um, fully engaged. So it's not just your chest coming forward and your legs are dead. Or your it's not rainbow. just your legs your going... Your rainbow. Yeah, it's not just your legs going back and your chest is collapsed, yeah. right? Like everything has to work together. So that's how I like to teach, is trying to get everything to work together in the way that it's most beneficial to create length and opening and expansion but you know, going back now, yeah. we do this because we like words. We yeah. like to understand things on a very intellectual level, mm-hmm. you know, and we want to get it right and yeah. we want to be analytical. And going back to the way the the practice was brought about, that energetic, you said there was something yeah. energetic. I mean, yeah, you know, Guruji and Sharat, usually when they explain postures, it's, 
It's really simple things. It's like point your toes, straight your leg, <laughs> take your toe, hold your waist, touch your head. Like these are the these are the instructions so you get. Simple. Press your head, you know. Touch your head, knee to head, head to knee, you know. Point your toe, point your toe. Guruji would say, loose your feet, loose your feet. <laughs> loose loose or feet. use? Loose, loose. I think it was like loose, but oh, like point, you know, oh. loose them. Oh, make them loose. I don't know. <laughs> I always figured it meant point your toes. <laughs> You're a big toe pointer. Yeah, I like the toe point. I feel like it um, engages the legs. It makes the legs work. I'm yeah. a toe pointer. Yeah, and it looks pretty. And it looks <laughs> But, you know, it's one command that Sharat really gives a lot. Point your toe. Point your toe. Well, you, Straight your leg. Point your toe. I say that to Megan, and it just, all of a sudden, <laughs> her whole body goes up. Like, you, it, yeah. like, it's so weird. It's like you're being pulled by your toes. It, it helps to connect you to your bandha, to your center, to your and core. And yet, I'm losing. Like, my arches are falling, and <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I know gravity's starting to win, and yeah. so I'm really you have finding, to fight against it. I do. I have to go back to that toe pointing again, and um, sometimes I walk around on my tippy toes just because you strengthen your arches. Yes. Yeah, like I realize that that's it. I'm I'm losing um, yes. some of that, and so part of the asana really is just physical. It's not just all spiritual. Like there is yeah. something about keeping my body. Um, sure. I don't want to give in. To the gravity. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's life, right? Mm -hmm. Gravity's heavy. <laughs> it's pulling us down. It is. So, <laughs> so I mean, part of the practice is reversing that effect. You know, it's even internally, we're taking that downward force and we're trying to push it back up, right? Push it up and in, keep us buoyant and you know, lively and full of that prana, right? Full of life. <laughs> As women in particular, I will say, I feel like I am an accordion. Um, <laughs> I say this to Megan, I'm like, I'm like, I'm an accordion and I'm just trying to stretch out the accordion. We have uh, mi the, our midsections, we go between two things. Mm -hmm. Tell me if you agree or disagree mm -hmm. or whatever, but I find the shrinking effect, um, mm -hmm. especially if you've had kids, it yeah. becomes, I mean, it's, it's a soft place. And then you isolate, right? We go back to mm -hmm. isolation. So yeah. you do a lot of abdominal strengthening, but mm -hmm. not necessarily the deep internal abdominal, mm -hmm. but more like the superficial. I used to have like six pack abs. I did. I was very proud of them too. Mm -hmm. they, they, you could see the little ripples did not do well for my back bending. Yeah. P.S. Like yeah. it was like armor and it would send it in my low back mm -hmm. yeah it's hard to lengthen those uh short type muscles your your <laughs> belly's not your belly's a little softer i mean like i'm my belly saying that right bad, yeah. no, 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 no. It's, it's like i was so happy like when you were demonstrating the back bending and you like but it's strong it's the first time you've ever <laughs> rolled up your shirt like you don't do that yeah. on instagram and i no. don't take any pictures but you tied Thank your you. shirt up under above your navel and yeah. i thought you gotta sign up for the workshops to see the belt yeah. that's it you know that's like, how you get it <laughs> you gotta sign up to see you want to see harmony's belly yeah you gotta come in person yeah. that's that's a one-on-one -on -one kind of that's a direct transmission that's thing a, <laughs> but 
anyway. <laughs> but I, what it was really cool about it was yeah, I, I took belly dancing and I was terrible yeah. because I couldn't do it because my abs didn't soft. move. Yeah. My abs wouldn't move. They move now. They're much softer now. No, yeah. But now they're on a court. But anyway, go fight, fight between the two. But you, when you started demonstrating, mm -hmm. I was looking at your mouth. I was like, she's real. Like you have yeah. a softness. And then you started to stretch. Yes. <laughs> Bend. And backwards. then you started to go up yeah. and you could see the suppleness. It all came to the middle. Mm -hmm. Then you could see the underlying. There was something underneath oh, yeah. there. Yeah, there's some muscles like, under there. There were some muscles <laughs> under there. And I was like, but it's it, super strong. <laughs> but the outside of it remained yeah. supple yeah. so that it could go there. Yeah. And it was it was really fascinating to watch. Yeah, it's a different kind of muscle you start to develop, I think, doing the yoga practice. It's different than uh, doing like weight training mm -hmm. where you're making short, strong muscles. Yeah. You're making actually long, strong muscles, you know, muscles that are able to um, contract and lengthen at the same time. Yeah. And so... It's a different, it does a different kind of thing to your body, yeah. But, you know, it's maybe not, it's not like, you're not going to be on the cover of uh, Sports Illustrated, probably. <laughs> At least I'm not. <laughs> but, that's the, but, but then it's something, it's like goes back to the, it's an internal thing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's an inside practice. It's a, how much yeah. can we let go of the outside thing, whether it's, yeah. I'm gonna go three times in a row so I can get my authorization. I'm gonna, you know what yeah. I mean? Like um, all of these, mm -hmm. these, the words, the anatomy, and and really trust that like when you needed what was inside, when you were demoing that back bend and you <laughs> went deep and you got long, that it's there. Yeah. It shows up. Yeah. Exactly. That's beautiful. Trust that it's gonna show up for you. Trust that it's gonna show up for you. <laughs> but you know, it takes a lot of work to to know that that it's there. It's not just, you can't just not do anything and say, oh, well, when I really need to, I'm going to be able to, right? You have to do the practice. You have to put the effort in. You have to do the work so that when you need to call upon it, it's there, right? And just trust what you're doing like, yeah. in that way. Yeah, but I think the the emphasis on the external you know, it's it's what draws people in. It's like the shiny, the shiny, yeah. uh, you know, bait on the end of the rod. It's what the fish bite onto. But the real yoga, and David Williams was probably the first person I ever heard say this. I think he says it frequently. So, um, but he says, you know, yoga is all the things you can't see. And he said that to me. He was one of the first workshops I ever took, and uh, it was maybe back in 2000 or 1999 or something. That really stuck with me. That that even though what we're doing is is very visually appealing and beautiful and stunning and quite majestic in its um, physicality. But the real yoga is what's happening inside. It's the stuff you can't see. And I think that that's an important thing to remember, you know, especially in this day and age where so much of our energy and time is focusing on 
what things look like or on, you know, uh, the visual aspect of yeah. the practice. It's important to remember why we're practicing yoga and that it's not just, you know, gymnastic bodies, that it's not just a fitness regime, that it's not just to, you know, be able to do circus tricks. You know, Guruji used to love saying that. You know, people would do handstands and walk around on their hands and stuff. He'd laugh and go, oh, circus tricks. You know, he, that, I heard him say that so many times about different things. Oh, circus tricks. And it's like a way of saying, you know, that's not yoga. And it's not that it's not, can't be a it's part of the practice. Cool, it's fine, but it's not. Well, he said it, he said, yamas, niyamas, they're hard. Yeah, so they're he gave hard. us some circus tricks. To exactly. <laughs> to try and help us get to the real stuff. But, but. and that only takes, that's an, it's not going to be something that's overnight. You got to, you got to have some time, right? Yeah. And some longevity with that. And also some life experience. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. You don't just develop yoga through asana. You know, you can do drills till the cows come home mm -hmm. and know nothing about yoga. You know, you got to actually get a life. Like, go out there and do some good, be good, invest in people or animals or whatever it is that, you know, you feel you can cultivate compassion towards. You know, have a family if you feel inclined to. Take care of your parents. That's your dharma. <laughs> yeah. You know, get in there, get dirty, get messy, and that's where the yoga shows up. Because people always say, it's your, hard. Does your husband practice yeah. yoga? Yeah. And I'm like, Ugh. no, but where was he this past week? Yeah, he was here. He, he was, well, he was, he was, that, he was with vets. And he yeah, was, he was with vets. He was with yeah. vets and he was with their families. And yeah. he was taking his time, not something exactly. that anybody would know about or anything like that. So, yeah. you know, he doesn't unroll a mat, but he goes and he takes you know yeah. parents who have lost their children in the war and like and it's just because yeah. just because there's so much more because he's investing in people in people yeah and then he's cleaning the house for us yeah and then he was cleaning the house <laughs> and taking very good care of us in fact i think he's waiting yeah. maybe to take I can't believe you have to leave i know i do soon <laughs> I, it's, it's been such a blessing um it's, it's been a real gift to have you here. Okay. I can't even say that strongly enough. It's meant so much to me. I think that you're just precious. I mean, in, in, in the most wonderful <laughs> way, like I, a gem. I've learned so much. Good. You've been so generous and... You've been very generous with me, so thank you. <laughs> so you come back next year? Yeah. Good. We'll plan for it. <laughs> thank you. Off camera. <laughs> Off camera. Thank you. Thank you so much. The Ashtanga Dispatch podcast was edited and produced by Chris Lucas and hosted by me, Peg Queen. We're committed to keeping this podcast ad-free, but we do rely on your help to do this. Please consider becoming a member by donating a few dollars a month over at patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. That's patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. And did you know that we now have a special podcast group for listeners on the Ashtanga Dispatch Facebook page? We hope it's like an easy and fun way for you to become more involved with the show. You know, like ask questions, make recommendations, and get some glimpses of behind the scenes. 
In fact, if you go there now, you'll find a few video clips from my chat with Harmony. And when you join up, be sure and introduce yourself and say hello. I love this community that we're building together. And don't forget, you can now download your copy of the Ashtanga Dispatch Magazine second issue, along with all the bonus online video and audio content from teachers like Greg Nardi, David Grieg, David Kyle, Kino McGregor, Jen Renee, John Churchill, and me by visiting ashtangadispatch.com backslash digital two. That's ashtangadispatch.com backslash digital two. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you again in the new year. Sahana Vavatu Sahana Bhunatu Sahavir Yankara Vavahai Tejas Vinavaditamastu Mavit Vishavahai Shanti, Shanti, Shanti.